Hello, my name is John McGurk and I am director of McGurk Performance Cars. The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar and I'm joined this week, as you've just heard, by another John. It's John McGurk, who runs a rather fabulous company called McGurk Performance Cars with a, I'm going to say an emphasis, but not an exclusivity on Aston Martin. Very well worded, yeah. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I decided I wanted to come and have a chat with John today because, well, in fact, we first started talking about the possibility of having a conversation with each other for the podcast in November 2020, which I know before we hit record, it really does fly. Because I was thinking, I I remember it well, because I know that it was Remembrance Day, it was the 11th of November when I was driving up, and I... I was thinking, oh, that doesn't feel like it was last November, but it wasn't. It was the November before. Uh, but yes, we have since got sidetracked. and uh, Easily done. Easily done. These things happen. Now, we first met at Caffeine and Machine, didn't we? Of course. Because course. you turned up in a rather incredible, I'm looking at a photograph of it on the wall, Ferrari F40. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, uh, in our conversation, we do have to talk about that because it is my absolute all-time favourite car. Yeah, um, and I suspect it might be one of yours as well. Do you know what? No, nobody even knew I had that car until Caffeine and Machine existed. Is that I, right? Well, I, I just kind of keep myself to myself with it, really. I'd take it out very quietly and just disappear off somewhere, and, and then put it back away again. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's become quite a thing. Yeah, um, but well, yeah, which is yeah, uh, understandable because it is a thing. You know? It is a thing, and it's quite unusual, isn't it? Because a car like that you tend to find that people that own stuff like that often do want to shout about it. Like, look, look at me and look at my cars, look at my wealth, yep. that sort of stuff. Yep. So, yeah, it's quite refreshing for suddenly an F40 to turn up and then somebody sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh, this guy lives down the road. And I'm like, what? Like, wh- why haven't I seen this before? Yeah. And, it's, and yeah. it really was down the road. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll get to that okay. later. We've got a lovely list of conversation talking topics that we're going to get through and I think we're going to get some rather interesting stories today. So I'm excited uh, to dive in. But before we dive into the... The point by point, why don't you give us a really quick overview of where you are right now, as in McGurk Performance Cars, and what you do, and then we'll dive into it in greater detail a bit later on in the chat. Uh, Okay, so uh, we are um, an Aston Martin specialist, and as you quite rightly said, it's not exclusive Aston Martin, so we do uh, we do buy and sell all sorts of weird and wonderful. So in our showroom at the minute, I've got a Ferrari 550 Maranello, uh, we've got a Jaguar XJ220. I've got a XKR. We've got so we've got different things as well as. But Astons are our thing, and there's no doubt about that. And um, uh, and and the more uh, the more uh, emphasis we've had on Astons, the, the the bigger that's become. Um, and the building that we're in now uh, originally was the showroom, and that's now morphed into a workshop. And the building next door has now become a showroom. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, roughly speaking, we sell about 200 ish used Aston Martins a year. Uh, and, uh, our workshop is an extremely busy, uh, part of, uh, of all of that. And it's, it, it it's all sort of, it's, it, it's a very heavy, it's very people heavy, uh, or, or heavily orientated part of the business. And it's become a real force, much greater than I'd anticipated, um, uh, and uh, is uh, yeah, and now sits alongside the the sales side of the business, and and they both um, they both you know they both they both march along really. Got you. Did you set out to be a, a dealer over a service shop or a service shop over a dealership? Or no, no, no. It was always about buying and selling cars. Mm. Um, but the, the point was when originally when uh, we were selling Aston Martin, we'd say to the customer, uh, "Sir, well, we're selling Madam, we'll take your car to Aston Martin. They'll service it." Um, and uh, and maybe even put a warranty on it, and we'll present the car to you in that way, and that's the best 
the best we can do. Mm. Um, but the issue with that is, is that the more and more of that you begin to do, um, the cost of all of that, you know, to give it to somebody else to do, it just becomes greater and greater and greater. And uh, it got to a point, I thought, you know, this isn't working. We need to do our own thing. Um, and uh, we managed to grab a technician who was uh, from the factory, uh, and we started with one, uh, and then it became two, and now it's three, and 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 that's and that's plenty really for for what we do. Um, just in terms of in terms of our building size, in terms of managing it, and being able to deliver what we want to deliver. So, um, yeah, it's become quite a thing. Yeah, and it's a big site here. You know, it's quite hard in audio format to explain, but we the last time I was here, we had a quick walk around and saw that beautiful showroom of just. Yeah, how many cars do you keep in there on average? Uh, we, uh, 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 between 30 and 40. So yeah. the showroom is about 8,000 square feet and the workshops are 3,500 square feet. Um, but as always, you always want more space. Yeah. Um, and at the minute, we've got a growth problem. Um, uh, and you know, we need more space. And we're sitting here scratching our heads and I'm thinking, what on earth am I going to do now? And you know, and all that sort of thing. So just a, another uh, a good problem to have, of course. Yeah, so, indeed. Yeah. Ultimate <laughs> first world problems, <laughs> definitely. Right then, let's dive into how, how you got to where you are now because I love a story I love knowing I think me like so many of our listeners have this huge passion for the automotive industry the thing that we've spoken about time and time again on both the podcast and on the radio show and even in some videos as well is that what I love about the automotive industry is we're all here because we love cars or we love bikes we love things with engines and things that make noise and things that go make a mess yeah that's why we're here it it is a passion-led industry in every aspect from car design through to technician through to selling through to PR we're all in this because we love cars nobody's really here going oh I don't really like cars but I'm going to work on them because that'd be a really weird thing it doesn't work no yeah um so let's find out where this passion and this journey started for you I'm going to assume there was perhaps some parental influence as a young as a youngster no actually ah. quite the opposite in fact if we talked about my dad's car history that would be absolute <laughs> carnage um champagne beige metros with brown interior uh green <laughs> volvo estate 245 dls or G- yeah dl and a glt uh again champagne beige with an awful brown interior so um uh, dad didn't excel himself with cars until much later on um, although he did try and restore an e-type once upon a time which was a complete disaster um uh, but th- i think that what kicked it off for me um, uh, when I was younger, is we, li- we lived in a village called Brinklow, which was just outside of Coventry. And uh, and in Brinklow, uh, there was this chap called Malcolm Cramp. And Mr. Cramp uh, was an engineer uh, and had an Aston Martin. Uh, and he had, um, as it turned out, and I didn't know at the time, um, a DB4 GT lightweight, a really very, very, very rare car, um, which at the time, when I was 10, which I think was when I first saw it, uh, roaring up through mm. the village, uh, the noiseless thing made it was kind of a silvery blue colour, um, uh, and uh, he used to drive the wheels off it. I mean, he didn't care one jot, um, and uh, and and of course everyone mistook it for a DB5. Mm. Uh, and uh, te- when you're ten, you're none the wiser. But it looks like you, you know, it's a Sean Connery car. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that uh, so uh, you know you literally on a Sunday I'd be I'd, I'd be on my bike right right into the village and I'd hang around to wait to see if he might drive past in it or I might drive <laughs> I might cycle past his house and have a quick look see if it's parked on his driveway and have a little chat with him over the gate or something um, uh, and and that was that was the car undoubtedly uh, that um, uh, that really got my interest in in all of it um, uh, and Mr Cramp uh, was uh, you know he had a mini clubman. Um, which, uh, in typical engineering style, uh, had a fourteen ten fully blown A series engine, and he used to scream around in that as well. So, you know, when I was when I was seventeen, and I had my Mini, it was my first car. Um, 
uh, I, I was I'd do my damnedest to chase him around uh, if ever we <laughs> if ever we happened to coincide. Um, so so that was that was the car, and I think as well at the time, you know, when we were younger, I mean, Formula One for me at that time uh, was such a thing. Mm. Uh, such a thing more for me then than it is now uh, for loads of reasons which I'm, we're not going to bore each other with but it, but but I think all of that was yeah that's that's, that's enough isn't it to to kind of to light the fire yeah. really um, uh, yeah and then and then it was you know how do I get my first car I'm 14 and, yes, uh, and so I'm 14 years of age and of course I'm at school and I'm I'm stood there talking to a couple of mates uh, as we got off the bus uh, and we're all winding each other up saying right how are we going to get this, how are you get your first car and it's like is your dad going to get your car. Uh, I don't know. Or my, and one of the guys was like, oh, my dad's going to get me a car. And I was like, oh, my, my dad's not. I thought, right. So, of course, we decided that even to go home and ask our parents. <laughs> so, and the thing is with my dad, you had to catch him at the right moment. Uh, <laughs> so, so we'd be sitting around having uh, having dinner and uh, and dad's, dad's got him from work and he's got a glass of wine and the gun. I'm looking and thinking, this is a good moment. <laughs> so I said, right. I said, um, I said, dad, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, 17 in, in three years and what have you. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about a car and what, you know, what, what do you reckon, Dad, sort of thing. Come on, you know, what do you reckon, Dad? And he's looking at me out the corner of his eye with this kind of little grin on his face and he's looking at me thinking, here we go. Yeah. You know, um, Been waiting for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so he, said, I, he said, I'll have a bit of a think about it. So, of course, we all went into school the following morning and different different feedback from different kids about um, uh, Dad's told me to get stuffed or, yeah, dad, my dad said I'm gonna, he's going to get me a car. It was all over the place. And my dad came in on Friday evening same week, and he said, um, he said to me, he said, uh, I've been thinking about that car problem that you're going to have. And I'm like, all right. He said, well, he said, tomorrow morning, we're going to go see a man about a car. And I'm like, really? And he said, uh, I want you up, dressed, ready to rock and roll. We're leaving at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. We're going to see a man about a car. And, I, of course, I couldn't sleep all night. I'm absolutely beside myself. And uh, so the following morning, I'm downstairs. I've made him some toast. You know, <laughs> I've got him a coffee on the go, and, uh, and he sits there. And he's, re- and he's reading. He's reading the paper, taking his time. And he must be. He must have been absolute. Uh, he must have been laughing yeah. uh, uh, at, the, at the way he was going on. And uh, we got in the car, and we drove up the road, and we pulled into this restaurant that uh, every now and again, uh, you know, uh, uh, mum and dad went to. And he said, um, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's the kitchen porter's car, or it's the chef's car, or something. And we pulled in, and we got out. And we walked in the front door, and uh, Dad introduced me to uh, uh, Paco, the Spanish restaurant. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Paco, uh, Dad put his hand on my shoulder and said, uh, "Son, this is Paco." Paco said, "Hola, how are you?" You know. Uh, and Dad looked at me and said, um, "He said, Paco, I've been talking about your car problem, <laughs> and we reckon that if you work here every morning, every Saturday morning, every Sunday morning uh, for the next three years at a pound an hour, which was the going rate at the time, it's three quid, three quid a shift, uh, you'll just about be able to afford uh, a car." And Paco had a bit of mop and went, "Off you go." And that, and that was it and that was it so and I, and I stuck it out and I did, I oh, did, did yeah yeah I stuck it out yeah I did I, I, and I worked there and I, I, quite, I quite enjoyed it you know it was my, my first job and, and, and off I went and um, it was either that or I'd go I, I was always going around the village with like a bucket and sponge and washing people's cars for a quid and bob, bob a job as it was known if I remember rightly <laughs> yeah that was that and so that ultimately led you to a was it a Clubman that you bought? Or it just, wasn't. A, it was. No. A, it was. Yeah, it was just a mini. It was. A, it was yeah. a thousand cc again, champagne beige, which was the oh, well, seemed like a family theme very at the time. Vogue, uh, um, uh, which which started out as a beautiful one owner little car, and I've still got the number plate um, on the shelf here, and I've still got the original set of keys for it. Um, uh, but uh, of course, I was seventeen, and uh, you just wanted me to go faster. So uh, um, so the thousand cc engine got replaced for a thirteen ten engine that we built and threw in it. Uh, then the car got crashed. Uh, um, I, I crashed it. Uh, and then it got rebuilt again. The next thing, like, it's got these sort of um, 
uh, uh, rev, uh, revolution or rev, rev, yeah, revolution four yeah. spoke wheels with yeah, the chrome yeah. rims, and I got the centre big exhaust, and yeah, it did all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I took the rear seats out and put speakers in. I mean, you name it. I, yeah, we did. We did all of that really. What I love about that story is there will be many people listening right now, me being one of them, that is kind of nodding along, going, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Yeah. I've done all of those things. First car was a Mini. I crashed it as well. Yeah. Um, admittedly, da- my dad was a little kinder in um, it, but there was a bit of a compromise because my first car being a mini dad um, did the typical dad thing. He was a teenager. What What do you want to do after you finished education, work wise? The only thing I could think of, my dad was in the motor trade for as long as I can remember. He was a mechanic as a as a child. He then went on to work for Snap On Tools. He's the, he's still in the motor industry now. Um, so the only thing that kind of came naturally to me was, well, maybe I'll just be a mechanic. You know, I, I like yeah. tinkering with things. I like taking things apart. That's what I'll do. And Dad, even at that time, so we're talking early to mid-2000s here, um, at that time was convinced that the automotive industry, from a technician's mechanic point of view, was going to be awful. We're all going electronic, or, or there's going to be so many computers on the car, there'll be nothing to fix. I think that was his, that was his thought train uh, even back then, so perhaps a little bit ahead of himself. Um, but uh, his compromise was, we'll find you a car, a Mini, something a bit rubbish that needs some work and then I'll teach you everything you want to know about mechanics as long as you promise me you don't become a mechanic so that was that so yeah we got the uh, we got this little mini and and yeah sure enough we yeah on went the wrong wheels with the wrong exhaust and the wrong speakers absolutely all of that nonsense and uh, yeah I had a a little uh, little coming together with a Fiat Cinquecento in a in a Saturday job car park that I had. So I, 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 it wasn't a little. I had a massive coming oh, together you? with an arm coat on a, on the yeah the Coventry Ring Road, uh, and the car uh, the car understeered. It was it was New Year's Day. Uh, it was I was off to work in the hotel, which is what, what I was doing at the time. It was six o'clock in the morning, and I went re- I went under the bypass up the hill. Car understeered, uh, and the, uh, and I lost control of the car, and it snaked as, as I fought with it, it snaked all up the hill, and then I hit. Um, I hit the um, I hit the the um, uh, the side the, like the armco, which below it was like a sixty foot drop. And as I hit it, both my headlights ejected out of the front of the car whilst lit, and then faded as they went down. <laughs> they went they went down to the floor below, and I'm screaming in the car, thinking, "What on earth am I doing?" And uh, yeah, that was that. <laughs> that was back to the drawing board for the mini again. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so was that the end of the mini there? No, no, no. Well, no it was back to my dad's garage uh, at home, <laughs> where you know I'd, I'd taken over the garage by this point, much to my dad's frustration, and uh, uh, and yeah, and me and a couple of mates, and we you know we we cut the wings off it and re, we jigged it and put it all back together and re, we painted it in the garage. And we did the lot, really? and, you know, uh, yeah, it was, uh, as you do, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> so a strong start with. Uh, I've got a note here as well. Uh, oh yeah, so crashed and rebuilt. So that's your mini story. Yeah. There's a note underneath called Christmas car. Ooh, yeah. What's that story? Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, when again, so uh, seventeen, obviously, uh, and we were all kind of learning to drive. If, if that meant we'd all got licenses. Yes. Um, yeah. But when I say learning to drive, I mean we're, we're learning how to muck about with cars. Absolutely. So three of us would get the Coventry Evening Telegraph and flick through the ads in the back for a car. Uh, we got a budget of 50-ish quid. It had to be taxed and MOT'd. It had to be rear-wheel drive. Um, Holy Grail was the 1.6-litre Capri uh, or Talbot Sunbeam or something like that that was just a bit of fun. Uh, and, I mean, we lived out in the sticks, right? And I, I, I stress that you cannot do this now, but at the time, <laughs> at the time, you kind of got away with things a little bit more than you can now. Um, and we'd take this car and we'd rally it around the lanes. Um, I mean, we'd be in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, you know we'd be sliding the car and doing all sorts of stuff with it, but ultimately we always ended up in the hedge. 
uh, <laughs> because we just weren't that good. Uh, and you, you, we'd stick it in the hedge. We were climbing out the passenger window at the boot or whatever it was. And then you'd walk to the nearest pub, uh, spend the whatever five quid you got left. But you always had to keep the tenner you needed for the farmer to tow you, tow you out the following day. <laughs> Um, uh, and that went on for that went on for a few years, you know. Uh, and it was yeah, it was great fun. And the idea was then, when it came to February, you'd advertise the car back in the paper again and try and get your money back and uh, and all that sort of stuff. And that was that was our Christmas car. But yeah, we always went shopping for a Christmas car um, uh, every year, like kind of mid November onwards. And yeah, but it had to be it had to be rear wheel drive, and it had to tick as many boxes as we could. But yeah, it was good fun. I'd love to. So, what sort of cars are we talking there? I'd love to think about what what value they might be at now if they're still on the road. Was it anything relatively interesting? Well, I mean, Tom, uh, no, not really. I mean, these were, were these are bangers, weren't they? Yeah, really? okay. I mean, it, 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 but, but, they, but they had to be road legal, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and all the rest of it. But, you know, ultimately, if we took a wheel off or dented it or something, uh, it's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, and if it's worth 50 quid, well, now it's worth 40 quid, well, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but they, they, that was that was good. So when it snowed, you know, icy roads when it snowed. I mean, one of the things that I, um, uh, my my mum and dad did for me when I passed my test was send me up to um, I think it was up near Donington actually and there was a school there where you could learn about um, uh, skid control oh brilliant um, yeah. and the great thing about it was that we used they used uh, uh, Mark 3 Cortinas uh-huh. um, on a car park and they just go they just, 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 just chuck oil everywhere yep. I mean again you can't do that now either but they chuck oil everywhere with water and you drive around this car park on bald tyres learning about cadence braking, learning about mm. the physics of what happens when you tap the brakes, what happens, you know, the transfer of weight, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then at the end of it, you, the instructor chased you. So the idea is he's forcing you to try and make a mistake. And oh, wow. it was it was brilliant um, uh, because, you know, if you can't control your car in the rain, you know, aquaplaning, all that sort of stuff. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, that was really good fun to go and do. I bet. Yeah. It's completely lost art now, I feel. Because I think unless you really go out of your way to go to do car control days or if you can find a skid pan somewhere if, you know if not many left now but even let alone those that you can go and actually pay a fee to go and inv- yeah. enjoy unless you're doing that or unless you're very fortunate and you can afford to go ice driving once a year or so i feel like with modern cars being so good and you know everything now has traction control everything's got stability control yeah. i just think that the vast majority 90% plus of drivers on the road would have absolutely no not, idea not a what clue. to do now not a clue, and it's such a shame, isn't it? It's it's scary in a way. Yeah, and even even ice driving's not, you know, because the the cars are geared for it. The yes. suspension setup. I mean, the car is yeah, designed yeah. to do that. Yeah. And what we're talking about is we're talking about taking a car that's designed to cruise down the, the dual carriageway at sixty miles an hour, mm. and all of a sudden we're going to stick it on a load of ice. Well, you you're in that, you know, you're, you're going to be a whole load of trouble. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I mean. It's, it's it's important just to understand. That's it. Understand what happens if I do this. What happens if I break? If I'm aquaplane, do I break? No, you don't. Do I? You know, mm-hmm. Do I? No, you don't. Just just sit. You know, just keep it steady. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. a lot of the time, it's um, you know, when you go from being, you know, when you go from having grip to having no grip, uh, it's you just got to worry about your steering wheel and just leave your pedals alone and That's just exactly you know, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. close your eyes. <laughs> close your eyes and hope for yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. So the journey from that point onwards in car ownership. Because again, I've got a little list here. I'm cheating because I've got a little list. I can see some exciting cars here on the list. Um, where, did, where did it go from there? So you wave goodbye to Mini. So yeah, the Mini, the, uh, the Mini went uh, in favour of Mark, Mark One Golf GTI, which you know Very at the time nice. again was holy grail of you know yeah. how do I, and it was eight hundred and fifty pounds, uh, and I bought it from a uh, summer up in Derby, drove it back. It got it got a body kit on it, which I didn't like. So I, I love the original look. So mm-hmm. the body kit went in the bin. The um, uh, the wheels that were on it weren't right. They went in the bin. I put the P wheels on, 
standard front, uh, you know, uh, uh, spoiler at the, uh, at the lower valance. Uh, and uh, in fact, actually thinking about it, I remember I bought the car and drove back from Derby. And as I came into the village and turned up the little lane that we lived on, uh, uh, it, it lost drive. You know, and I'd been uh. and bought this car privately uh, and I was 18 and whatever else. Uh, and I'm sat there in the middle of the road with my pal that was with me. And I'm literally, I'm thinking, oh my God, what, you know, the gearbox is gone or this is gone or that's gone. As it turned out, it happened as a drive shaft that snapped. But, but you know, you, you, I, 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 it, it was just one thing after another. Um, but yeah, it was, I loved that golf. It was fantastic. It turned out it had a, um, uh, it had a TSR, Tim Siles, Tim Siles Racing, I think they were called, the, um, uh, engine upgrade. It went like a rocket. It was a great car. Um, and I just, I just love the look of the Mark One GTIs, really. Um, uh, and unfortunately, um, somebody else liked the look of it too, and they got nicked, um, uh. which I was gutted about. I'm, I think I'd had it for a couple of years. Um, yeah, and I definitely had it a couple of years, and it got pitched from Sainsbury's car park. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and so I had the, the, the golf. The golf was a goner, but it was um, yeah, that was a really great car. Mm. Actually, super reliable, and yeah. A lot of fun and the birth of the hot hatch really wasn't it? It was certainly at the yeah that the and the two hundred five yeah. you know I mean it, the two hundred fives were great as well and um, but the golfs were a bit bigger and heavier but I just quite like the look of the golf and yeah um you know it's quite a nice it's quite a nice car to have much to my parents uh, um, uh, dismay when I've gone and got a quicker car than my last one you know so <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah it's a good car that what was the perception of so I mean don't have to reveal any ages here but the so what era are we in here roughly. Uh, 93. Okay, yeah. 93. So at that point, it is... I'm, I'm trying to compare, like, if that would be... Was the was the Golf GTI at that point looked at in the same way by the car community as, say, the Golf R is now? Is it Was it seen as this, like, absolutely rapid uh, thing? Yeah, ma- yeah, I suppose it must have been. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose it must have been. It's funny to think like that, isn't it? Uh, but then, I think back in the day... You know, uh, I mean, Max Power magazine was mm. was the you know uh, was on the shelf, so it was a different world back then. And uh, the golf, it was always Golf GTI, Nova GT, Astra GTEs, that you know yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and it was it was it was what can you get insured on? What yeah, can you, of course. What can you get away with? Um, and I don't think that as an eighteen year old lad today, uh, I'd be able to have insured that car at that point no. in my life, really. And um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, the, I, I just like I just like the golf really. Yeah. Um, not the quick, probably not the quickest thing out there, thank the Lord. But um, but great fun to mess around with camber settings on the front of the car. Um, so there's lots of bits with the car you could play with and uh, and what have you. And um, always yeah, I know I, like, I liked it. It's a good car. <laughs> and then it got faster because I see the next car on the list. Escort RS Turbo. Yeah, I don't know if it did get faster because I think that I think the Golf was a much better, much better car. How um, interesting! I think the Escort in a straight line, if the clutch could have held together, because it had been with you know it had been mapped and mucked about with. Um, and I think if the if the clutch could have held together, it might have gone quicker. It definitely went quicker in a straight line, but couldn't go around corners like the Golf did. The Golf the Golf was a great handling car, um, uh, and the Escort wasn't a great handling car really. Um, and it had been painted like this metallic blue and it got different wheels on it and it had an exhaust you could stick your head in. I mean, all that sort of stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, and again, it was, it, was a really, it was a really good fun car, but the Golf was the, Golf was the better car. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. 
Um, and then I got a, and my next note here is company car. So I guess at this point you're getting into work. Are you still in hotel world or have no, you moved so, over to cars here? So uh, uh, as my, I came to my senses. Uh, the thing is, I mean, the hotel trade at the time wasn't regulated like it is now. And mm. um, as a as a trainee, assistant manager, deputy manager, whatever it was, um, uh, you get flogged to death. And, you know, yeah. we, it was 110 hours a week. And it was absolutely, yeah, it was, it was, I remember coming home on Christmas Day um, one afternoon and, you know, mum had got, some lunch leftovers for me and I just curled up on the table and went to sleep. I mean, it's just, it was exhausting. Um, and I loved cars. And, uh, and next thing I know, I managed to get myself a job as a trainee salesperson at the, um, at the Rover dealership in Coventry. Mm-hmm. Um, so selling secondhand Rovers, which I've got to say was just one of the best jobs I've ever had. It was, <laughs> it was just superb. It was a great time in my life. Um, I was 20 ish and, uh, uh, yeah, and I loved it. I did. I mean, you know, it was it was as always with these jobs. It was was it? I think we did twelve on two off or something. Right. But you know, but having come from one hundred and ten hour a week, yeah, of course. You know, it gets to five thirty in the afternoon. And the guy's saying to me, "You can go home now." I'm thinking, really? I've got another. I've got another. I've got another like eight hours in me if you want it. And yeah. you know, but it was. Um, it, yeah, it was. That was that was that was good job. It was good fun. And how was that transition from? hospitality did you go did you find sales quite easy as a result of having worked in a field where yeah. you're having to look after customers constantly yeah because yeah. yeah. i often find that i i've it's it's a quite a, a common journey actually i find people that have worked in um hospitality or even the travel industry have then gone into cars and they've always found that you know you can walk into any sales job and get training but if you've had no experience in how to deal with people then often you're not going to be a very good salesman. It's that yeah. old saying, isn't it? People buy from people rather than the product. Um, so yeah, so that was, you found that. Did you did sales come quite naturally to you then? Do you think? Yeah, because it's just it's people skills, isn't it? Yeah. It's just being able to hold conversations with people um, and not be a salesperson, but be an information provider mm. and just do it in the right way. So when you go from being in the hotel trade in the centre of city centre of Coventry which you know at one point was one of the most violent cities in the country mm. so when you go from uh, from dealing with <laughs> um, dealing with nice people obviously but also dealing with the drunks the yobs and all the rest of it and mm. you're dealing with all of that and then all of a sudden I'm dealing with nice people that, that, uh, it, it, that want to treat themselves with a new car it, it yeah. could not it couldn't have been more one extreme to the other um, you know and uh, uh, some of the shenanigans that we used to have to deal with in the hotels at the weekends and the nights I mean it was it was tough going so all of a sudden yeah you know I'm, I'm, I'm stood out on this used car pitch as we used to call it <laughs> um, selling selling rover metros to whoever and it was it was great yeah, yeah I bet oh fantastic yeah. um, and then I've got my my next notice Ford so yeah, so uh, just you know, I did the car sales thing, and then I wanted to do the finance thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got a job working at uh, what was Corner Ford in Coventry um, at the time um, as their finance guy. So all the people that bought the secondhand Fords, I was the the guy that did all the finance okay. uh, and what have you, and um, uh, uh, did that for a year. Um, did very well at it for for twelve months, um, but the business wasn't. Um, being run that well as it turned out uh, and um, and um, uh, the alarms were going off when the guy that ran the business summoned everybody all the staff to come and have this meeting um, and he said look uh, he said I he said I'll get you I think it was like he was offering an extra day's holiday per car that you could bring in from your family, wow, and we're and we're like I don't, and we're all scratching heads. And I'm and as the finance guy, I understood about you know stockings mm. and the, the stocking facilities and stuff. And I'm listening to it, thinking this doesn't sound good. And he's so he's saying if you if you bring in like your mum and dad's car, uh, you'll get two extra days holiday. 
And I'm thinking, how many cars do you want? And it turned out he needed quite a lot of cars. So all of a sudden, there's clearly something going on with the finance company where he's taken more money from the finance company for stocking cars that he hasn't got oh, wow. to prop up the business. And I'm thinking, right. So we all left the meeting. <laughs> I rang my dad and went, I think I need to get out of here quick, you know. Yeah. And uh, and sure enough, it, that all that all folded um, wow. uh, not long afterwards. But um, uh, it was a shame. So, yeah, so well, I found myself in no man's land for a minute. So... Uh, I got there was a car car supermarkets were becoming a thing, mm. uh, and I ended up over in Northampton helping to set up this car supermarket, which was all finance based. It's all mm. all about you know um, selling finance to people. So I went and did that for a short period, um, uh, and then uh, as luck would have it, uh, I had a phone call from the guys at TWR um, uh, again, which is back to Coventry, saying uh, you know would you like to come and work for us? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, I would. Um, so, uh, so next thing I know, I was, I was, at, you know, at Jaguar TWR and Coventry, which again was just brilliant. And I have to say, um, I have to say that working, working at TWR and the way that business was run at the time is, is how I am doing this now, because it was, right. it, 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 it was, it was all, it was great standard setting, uh, 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 very much eye for detail, but you know, doors always open, come and have a coffee and customers would come and go. And you had that great relationship with people. You're taking your time with people. It's not in and out as quick as you can, um, and uh, and that was a really really well run, uh, uh, really well run business. And and at the time we got involved with XJT Twenty quite a lot because of course yeah. they were hanging around a little bit, and uh, and that was super exciting. And all of a sudden I'm at Brands Lane uh, talking to people at Jaguar at the factory about these cars, and I'm just all of a sudden I mean, it's we're in car heaven. Yeah, you know, so it's it's gone from being about car sales and about finance, and all of a sudden it's just. Um, yeah, it's, it's just exploded into this. I'm being surrounded by TVRs that are in part exchange and all these cool cars that start appearing out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah, that was that was exciting time. Amazing. Yeah. And just to fill in the gap for anyone that's listening that's not familiar with TWR, so that is Tom Walkinshaw Racing. Yep. And at that, and I'm guessing uh, that was the the dealership that had been set up in his name, or by it was by Tom, wasn't it? He, yeah, uh, Ixion was the, was the company that it all went it all went under, and uh, the Ixion Group had a number of um, uh, businesses in in and around the Midlands. Uh, and but yeah, the TWR Jaguar one was the one that stood out because, of course, of, of of Tom's relationship with Jaguar with yeah. racing the XJSs and and so on and so forth. So um, that was kind of a flagship yeah. place to be, really. Did your paths ever cross? Uh, uh, only when uh, I, I won, uh, I won an award for again. It was the finance thing I was doing, uh, and yeah, uh, we had a quick, we had a quick hello and a handshake at that point. Mm. Um, but he was too busy doing Formula One teams and things, and yeah, of course, you know, uh, doing lots of cool stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Oh, that sounds good. I, I do love. I still occasionally see an old Jag X, XJ6 rolling around with the TWR yeah. all, all slightly folded and, yeah. and rippled over Wrinkly. time yeah. uh, but it's such a cool thing to see in fact a good friend of mine Dan we uh, we in lockdown when every, everyone in the world was furloughed and we could have little bubbles uh, we decided to start a little um, I say we he did uh, start a little business where he was sort of buying and selling interesting second, third, fourth, sixth hand cars uh, and we ended up going up to Doncaster to look at this XJ6 and sure enough it had a TWR number plate on the back and that was pretty much the reason we bought it because it, it was like it's come from TWR yeah. in Coventry it's it was quite a brand yeah you know? yeah. Uh, and people always wanted to have the jackets and you know be part yeah, of it of it was they did, yeah it was a very good thing amazing right so TWR um, and then after TWR I've got Graypool. Yeah, so um, Ixion was bought out by Sitna. Mm. Um, so uh, 
uh, so all of a sudden, you know, uh, the uh, 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 we had the sitna sitna team d- descend upon us, uh, and very professional, uh, very professional outfit, and um, uh, and they there was a vacancy. Uh, uh, Graypool at the time was this lovely little quaint. Ferrari dealer uh, tucked away in Loughborough mm. um, we, and it had literally had a cave out the back um, uh, with this sort of extended showroom and, and was always described as, as an Aladdin's cave which is sort of quite, sort of a phrase used quite a lot but <laughs> it really was and, um, uh, and next thing I know I found myself yeah, at, at, at Greypool um, kind of doing a you know, sales manager slash business manager finance role it was because it's the numbers were much smaller it was a very much you know a much quieter footfall mm. so you end up doing a bit of everything and um uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, what a wonderful place to be, you know, um, sort of in the showroom surrounded by, um, by all of these amazing, uh, uh, amazing, you know, bright red, uh, uh, pieces of art, frankly. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, and at the time, uh, at the time the three, five, five, uh, was, was the car to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three sixty was just around the corner. Um, and you know, we were, we were, we were learning about all of that. And a really exciting thing to do. I went to because um, uh, Ferrari and Maserati were all sort of under the same umbrella. Yeah. So we all got taken down to um, uh, it, it, we all got taken to Italy um, to go on a driving course wow. for the new Maserati thirty two hundred that had just come out. Oh, yeah. And I was extremely fortunate to have Ivan Capelli as my driving instructor. Right. Right. I mean, uh, you know, like this F one is the F one driver uh, and. Uh, and I was sat next to him in this Quattroporte, and he was taking us around. The Maserati had their own racetrack, and he was taking us around this racetrack, just drifting this Quattroporte sideways <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and uh, so the, some of the perks that came with working at, at Ferrari um, uh, at Graypool were were super exciting because you're meeting these different customers who, you know, you'd, you'd, they'd ring you up and say, I want a car for the summer, what have you got? Well, I've got this, I've got this lovely black 355 Spider. Okay, I'll have it. Bring it down next week, uh, and I'll make sure you get a left home. Okay, fine. So you'd, you'd you know we'd turn, we'd turn up with this car you'd present it to the uh, the new owner's right hand man mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, the the, the right hand man he'd say well uh, Mr So and So has actually allocated uh, half an hour to have some lunch would you like to join for lunch well, I'd love to wow. thank you very so you go and have lunch and you're sitting there overlooking uh, well overlooking Surrey if I remember rightly um, there's an incredible uh, view um, I had a wonderful lunch and he said uh, right he said um, Charlie will take you home in the helicopter. Oh, wow. No okay. way. Yeah, I mean, it was just another level all of a sudden, you know, uh, and um, uh, and you're meeting all these incredible people who were inspirational, yeah. you know, and, and of course you're sitting there thinking, uh, can I do that or can mm. I do this and I want to be like him or whatever. You know, and you're always taking little bits from different people that you met thinking, oh, I like the way he does that or yeah. I like the way he does this and, you know, we were dealing with this guy, he was status quo manager and you're meeting all these incredible people mm. um, uh, and, yeah, that was that was... That was yeah, it was an amazing thing to do. But I was so I was so young, and um, uh, and I was champing at the bit to get on in life. Wanted to do better and better and better. I was work 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 work. Mm. You know, I was there at six in the morning until eight nine o'clock at night. No problem at all. I was young enough. I had the energy and mm-hmm. and the, and the drive was a two hour round trip each day. Didn't care. Wow. Um, and um, you know, and I was snapping at everyone's heels. And the problem with with it at the time was that everybody in the sort of the management structure. Um, it, they'd all landed the best job in the world. Yeah. None of them are going to go anywhere. Um, they're going to be there forever. And I have to say, even to this day now, I know that they are all still there. Really? Wow. So, uh, so you know, it was, uh, it, you know, push, push needed to come to shove and uh, uh, with what I was going to do after it. But it was, yeah, it was an incredible place to be. Mm. So, and that was when I got the first F40 experience. Right. So, 
so Dash, God love him. Dash was the uh, the name of one of the lads that uh, was the kind of ran the workshop. Uh, and I kept saying to him, "You got to take me out. For, you got to take me out on one of those girls. You got to take me out on one of those girls." So one day I had the knock on the door, and uh, he said, "Come on, we're going." So I, I strapped, strapped, and I made strap myself into the passenger seat of this thing. Bloody hell! I mean, it, it, it the, the, it feels like, and I've never, but it, it must feel like you've got a jet engine strapped to your back because I'm sat in the passenger seat of this car, and Dash wasn't hanging about with the way he drove the car. It was, uh, it was stunning. It was just absolutely stunning. And I remember getting out of it, and I was just in absolute awe of of what I just experienced. Uh, the noise, the feel, the look of the thing. I mean, everything about it was just like, oh my lord, what you know, what was that? Um, and uh, you know, and I'd got a picture of there was a picture of the F40 in the office on the on the on the wall anyway. And you know, oh, I just yeah, you, you, it was instant, instant falling in love moment that was. And do you think that paired up with the? You say you, you'd kind of become aware that the role you had at Ferrari at that point probably was as good as it was going to get. Perhaps it was you were, you were waiting for somebody to peg it before you could replace their job kind of thing because they were in such a good position. So you're there thinking, chances are I'm not going to get to management position there. And then you get to experience something like that. That paired with the experience of meeting these really successful people and thinking... I want to be I need, as I, successful yeah. as them. And, Did yeah. it all come together in that car? Do you think? And, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm thinking I've got to do my own thing. Yeah. I want to. I, I need to work for myself. And 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 I always been very good with saving every penny I'd ever had. Um, I was never very, I'm never frugal with going out and buying, you know, this, that, and the other. I didn't. I don't need material things. I just wanted to have a good, you know, uh, a good sort of you know uh, savings mm. so that I could use that for whatever I wanted to do and uh, uh, yeah and I always wanted to have my own business and um, uh, and just yeah saved saved all the money for that when when the time was right mm. um, and uh, that you know that cobbled together with going and knocking on the bank manager's door saying I want to do this and can you have some faith in me please and I, you know I know I can do it and, mm-hmm. and that's the hardest thing to do and I you know I mean trying to I don't know yeah, doing it today you know if you had to go and see the bank manager and say please can I borrow you know x number of pounds or what have you I mean it's just it must be headbanging and it was headbanging then it'll be headbanging again now but yeah um you know it's because uh, you, you need people to have faith in you yes. um and uh, uh, and you've got to do what you say you're going to do and when you say you're going to do it and um you know and just kind of yeah just but just yeah just kind of go from there I suppose and how are you with that because I guess a lot of people there'll be a lot of people listening now of variants of ages this is what I love about our listenership is we have everything from Guys and guys and girls in their early teenage years, through to people that have retired, um, that listen to our podcast each week, and uh, many people of all ages, more so I'd say the younger category, are either embarking on their career or they're in a position, they're in a job where they're thinking, actually, I do want to do something else. I do want to do something a bit more focused on my passion, a bit more car centric, automotive centric, and um, or perhaps even run my own business. That what was your emotion at the time of going in to see the bank manager and, as you say, selling yourself? Because I think in the modern world, this is something that a lot of people are either absolutely, they're so sort of cocksure of themselves. No, I'm brilliant. I'm going to be great. I'm going to go in with it. Or you're the complete opposite and you think, am I good enough to do this? Can you remember what your emotion was? Were you really confident in the no. concept? No, I'd be more interested in the person that was worried about it than the cocksure guy. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, all of the time, if you're not super nervous about what you're doing and you're not awake at night thinking about it, then forget it. Yeah. Forget it, mate, because that's you're, you're not it's not the right attitude to have. I, I don't think mm. I, I just think and, and in today's world, it, 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 it's so different, isn't it, about social media, Instagram, this, that and the other and the rest of it. And uh, and, you know, just 
we're constantly having to change what we do or how we do it to try and keep up with, you know, like the 20, 30 year old people. But mm. um, I mean, when I started out, it was you advertise in the Sunday Times, you've got a glasses guide um, and off you go. Yeah, that's it. Auto Trader magazine because you had a page in Auto Trader magazine. Uh, and then the web, the website thing was just about starting to become a real force. But we were still advertising in magazines, not online. Mm. Uh, and uh, so the world's changed so much. So today, I think it's easier, uh, in, in a, to a degree, um, that if you want to start up your own business, you can just go and do it because mm-hmm. you only need your mobile phone. Yeah. Um, so you don't need the capital behind you to do that. But if you want to do it seriously, then yeah, you're going to need to you need need, need some money. But it's <clears throat> but it's but yeah, from 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 a confidence point of view. If you're the kind of person that sits there and thinks, "Oh, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I've, you know, I'm not confident enough. Or, you know, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that." Well, you're the right person, mm-hmm. I think, uh, uh, because I think if you if you worry about it, you care about it that much, then you'll you you know you won't you you know you, you'll have a sharp eye for everything and you keep you know you, you you'll be on the ball with it. Yeah. And for the for the people that are a bit too, oh yeah, I'll do that. I'll do this. Yeah, well, okay, maybe maybe you can. Maybe it's about risk as well, isn't it? I think those that are nervous, they're far more likely to tread carefully. They're going to be far more conscious of risks and what could go wrong because yep. nobody wants to lose the business empire that they're looking yep. at building or they have built so far. Um, whereas, yeah, the guys and girls that might be going into it going, it's easy, it's going to be fine, I'll just crack on with it. I, they're going to be a bit more risk averse. 100%, yeah. And therefore, that's where mistakes happen and, and things go wrong. Do you know what? I mean, even, even today, you know, we've got an opportunity to buy a car and I'm looking at thinking, is that right? Mm. Uh, is that the right thing to do now? I'm not sure. Is it the right car? Is it the right price? Is that any other? And you're always thinking about it um, because, you know, you, it, it's all about how do I keep myself on the train tracks? Don't fall off the train tracks, um, you know, and just, you know, just make sure you, you just keep your blinkers on and just keep going in the right, in the right direction. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. I think so. Sound advice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, hope, I always hope that each episode and each conversation that we have, there's a light bulb turned on, even if it's just for one person. I know how many thousands of people will be listening to this, but if it turns on a light bulb for one person and makes them go, do you know what? I'm going to take that first step. You know, we're not saying sell everything and go and jump in with it, but if it, if it enables you to at least register that domain page or start that social media account or start the conversations with the people that you think you need to start having them with. Just crack on with I mean, it. Uh, the, the, the only thing, really, that is, 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 the, is the most important part of it is that, you know, life is too short, right? Mm. So, um, and on the basis that you spend uh, the majority of your life working, mm-hmm. then make sure you enjoy it. Yeah. Just make sure you enjoy it. And if you don't, change it. Change it. So true. Yeah. So, so true. And I think so many people forget it. We do have the choice. Yeah. We have the choice to try to at least try to make a difference. Yeah. I know that it's not easy to just flick a switch and walk into your dream job, but there are things you can do to start edging towards it. And happiness, as you say, is so important. Life yeah, is so painfully short. We don't know when things could change for the better or for the worse. So if you've got the opportunity to at least have a go at something, it's worth doing. It's worth yeah. pursuing. Now, I, I'm going to tread delicately with this one because I know this story and I think it's absolutely brilliant uh, but there is a an end to your chapter at Ferrari which yeah. also was a, a end to a chapter in a driving license as well so <laughs> and I'm gonna, I will caveat this if we're going to tell the story by saying you know this is something that happened in the past and it's not something we advocate but it's a bloody good story so entirely up to you if, if you want to tell the story okay so um 
I think that anybody, uh, anybody that's really into, if you're into your motorbikes and you're into your cars and the rest of it, you know, we all like going fast, right? That, mm-hmm. That's a fact, right? Um, uh, and when you're younger, you probably push the boundaries a little bit more than you should do, uh, granted. Uh, and if I went back in time, would I do it again? No, I wouldn't. But um, so uh, I, I love my motorbikes and uh, um, I spent a lot of my uh uh, mid twenties, uh, uh, whizzing around Mallory Park as an instructor on track days and things like oh, that. Great. Yeah, uh, and I'd quite often do the classroom thing. Yeah, good morning, welcome to Mallory Park. And yeah. here yeah. today we're going to teach you about racing lines and all of that. Did all of that. So, uh, um, so I was quite used to um, uh, whizzing around with my knee on the floor, my elbow on the floor, and just you know, <laughs> just really going for it. Uh, anyway, so I just bought this new uh, GSXR 600, and um, I think titanium knee sliders had just become a thing, uh, which <laughs> now are, now are frowned upon, but at the time of thing. So whenever you went round a roundabout, you stuck your knee on the floor, you get loads of sparks yeah. on that. Yeah. So and I was meeting a pal down in Oxford, and um, uh, and I, so I got home from work early, jumped on the bike, and whizzed off. Uh, and I was running the bike in. It was it was it was quite a new uh, a new bike, and. Uh, uh, and I got down, I was on the road that goes from Southern to Banbury, if anybody knows that. And it's a great road. And I came down to this roundabout uh, and went around the roundabout, knee on the floor, sparks going everywhere. Little 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 wheelies came off the roundabout. And I sat behind this Honda Accord Type R. It was all done in black with tinted windows and the rest of it. And, uh, and I looked at it and I thought, okay, it looks a bit different. And I looked ahead and there's a straight bit of road and everyone's cruising on very, very slowly. And I thought, right, I thought, right, so I'm going to overtake. So I pulled out. Lifted the front of the bike up and wheelied past four or five cars. Uh, uh, dropped down to the next roundabout. Again, whizzed around the roundabout. Sparks everywhere, and I shot off. Uh, and, uh, and and I'm all, and it's a long sweeping road. And I wasn't going silly, silly fast. But I, you know, uh, I was break. Oh, you know, I was I was breaking the speed limit, but I wasn't going mental. But but every because it's a bike, you just you know you're going pretty quick. Everything looks fast. And Sparks everything yeah, it's dramatic. Uh, and, and and every time I tipped into a corner, I'm always checking my mirrors. There's nothing there, and I'm out on my own. I'm, okay, great. I'm enjoying myself. Came into Banbury, got to a roundabout, and it shows you how long ago it was. Uh, two Vauxhall senators, uh, police Vauxhall senators, blocking the road with their lights flashing. So I pulled up and I thought, oh, I thought there's no other way through here. And I thought, okay. And I lifted, lifted my visor up and this policeman came over. And he went, you're right? And I said, yeah. And I said, um, I said, how long is it going to, I need to get through. And he said, oh, it's going to be a little while. He said, why don't you just get off the bike and stand over here on the grass? And I said, okay, fine, sure. So I got off the bike and I stood there. And, he, and, uh, and, and I looked at him and thought, oh, it's a helicopter. And I thought, oh, and I thought, great! I'm right in the middle of whatever's going to happen. Yeah. This is going to be really exciting with some action. And then, um, and then uh, uh, this policeman that I stood next to, he tapped me on the shoulder. He went, he went, he said, you don't, you don't get this, do you? And I'm like, no. And then I looked to my right, and this Honda Accord that I'd overtaken, <laughs> this black Honda Accord with all these blue lights on, this unmarked car came down the hill. I looked and I thought, oh no, you know. Uh, and this policeman it pulled up, and he went absolutely mental at me. Um, sat me in the passenger seat of the car. It was all on film, of course. Brilliant. So uh, 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 yeah, apparently it was in some sort of police camera action thing at the time. Uh, you know, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, very badly. Um, so um, uh, so uh, yeah, I got a bit of a telling off, to say the least. Uh, and of course, I got disqualified from. Uh, I, but I only had like a month ban. Okay, six hundred quid fine, uh, and you know, smack on the wrist, and told mm. not to do it again. And I'd sold my motorbike, and I was pleading, you know, uh, you know, what a stupid boy I was. Um, but ultimately, um, that pretty much cost my cost my job yeah. uh, at Ferrari because, of course, in the motor trade, if you lose your driver's license, yeah. and I'd got a two hour commute, and it just put me in a real, real pickle. Uh, I was absolutely distraught because mm. you know I, I, I I'd, I'd fallen off the rails. You know uh, uh, the the train track of life, if you like to call it, where you're trying to keep yourself. Uh, yeah. You know, and I and I cocked up, and um, uh, so. But looking back on it, it was 
the shove that I needed, I didn't, yeah, you need a shove sometimes because mm-hmm. I was in this great position uh, uh, and thinking, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And all of a sudden, I've got to do something with the rest of my life and I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I, they, they, I, I worked at a, um, I worked at another dealership very briefly again doing the sort of more finance and management and things and uh but while i was sat i thought no i'm done i need to get do my own thing uh so i bought a bmw 535i um 99 on a t registration done 56,000 miles for something like five grand i think it was at the time Mm. um uh and sold it to a dealer for a couple of hundred quid more and i thought right i can do this Brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, I was, and, and, and I'm off. So, um, so, and it was weird because I mean, you, you, you know, you resigned. I resigned and, yeah. and left. I've not yeah, done yeah. that before either. And then you wake up the following day uh, thinking that I'm starting, and I'm think I've got a, I've got a, a wardrobe full of suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, and I thought I can't. I'll be the only car trader to walk around in a suit. People, you know, we don't do that, and mm-hmm. you know, and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, it's a very odd feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, that first, I mean, the first year was odd, but I mean, the first week was bizarre, uh, you know, trying to find your own, find your own way with what you're doing and setting up a company, doing all that sort of thing. I think crisis is all a bit adventurous, but, um, you know, yeah. But yeah, so, so, uh, so, uh, and all I was doing really was uh, trading cars, which, which today you can't do in quite the way, in quite the volume that, that we did at the time. So uh, I, I was, I was specialising in, in buying all the part exchanges from all the different dealerships and mm-hmm. just swapping them all around. Which there was a few people. It was quite. It was quite a thing to do, but the industry changed massively um, in two thousand and five, where a lot of the dealers turned around and said, "Well, uh, hang on, if you're selling your, if you're selling this, you know, this Porsche part exchange uh, to McGurk and he's flogging it to the, uh, the the Porsche dealer, why the hell aren't you doing it?" Mm-hmm. So all these sales managers were getting bollockings, and it was. It all got very. Uh, uh, it, it all got very, um, uh, very tense, uh, um, and it became quite clear that they were all going to go to these auction policies, and things were going to change quite a lot. And I thought, right, you know, I've got to, um, I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to move on again. So yeah. that's when I took this building on and, and created a showroom and uh, and became a retail uh, outlet rather than a trade outlet. Wow. Um, yeah. So and that, that was, in itself must have been a scary job. Oh, huge! Because all all of a sudden, I've got a seriously large overhead to deal yeah, with yeah um uh, uh and uh, uh and you, you've got to make it pay that's it that's it so, i think that's that is the main part that so many people and until you've run your own business until you've you've had that pressure that stress of overheads it's the one thing that everyone forgets about it's like, oh look at you you're doing so well you've got all these cars in stock it's like yeah but i've also got all this bricks and mortar around me at that point had you employed Anyone, or were you still a bit of a one-man band? Uh, well, uh, well, at that point, it was. It, this was no. I'd got a. I'd got a guy, uh, Neil, who uh, who worked for me as a driver, kind of part time, really. Mm. But we've got quite a few drivers on the go uh, with lots of cars buzzing around the country and what have you. Um, uh, but Neil was my was my was my guy at the time, and then uh, and then uh, so at, when we took this building on, um, Matt, I employed Matt, who's still with us with mm-hmm. us now, um, and uh, uh, yeah, so it started out as myself and Neil, and then and then uh, Matt was really the first full time uh, person I employed, and and it just went on from there, yeah. uh, you know, and um, yeah, crazy really. And what was what was your typical stock at that point? Because of course now you're renowned and famed for. Your association with selling Aston Martins was it? Was it Aston Martins there at the beginning? Or yeah, no, well, it was. So uh, what I should have said was that when I was at Graypool, um, there was never enough Ferraris to go around for people that wanted them, and we bought and sold a lot of Aston Martins at the time. So we always had like a V six hundred Vantage in the showroom, or uh, a Vanquish, or DB. I mean, DB sevens. We did a lot with DB sevens because mm. they were the they were the the thing. 
Um, so when we when I, when I started here, it, the showroom was full of Porsche Boxsters, three five fives, DB sevens, Vanquish, and of course it all coincided nicely with the DB nine launch and with the mm. Baby V eight as it was known at the time, the, the Vantage. So yeah, we had all of those cars here, uh, and we had, which is why we were called Magoke Performance Cars rather than anything yes. else because of course we had a bit of everything. Yeah, um, uh, and that went on and on and on. But the more Astons we did, the more we the more. It was quite clear when you looked uh, across the marketplace that you know there weren't that many modern Aston Martin specialists at that time, mm-hmm. um, uh, and there were Ferrari specialists and there were Porsche specialists. And, this, and I thought, okay, well, we'll have a we'll have a go. Let's do that. Yeah, it kind of, you kind of fall into these things, don't you? Yeah, bit, you know? yeah, of course. Um, and so, did it come? Did, did there come a time where you realised that there was a a particular benefit in focusing on the Aston Martin mark over? The variants of marks, or how did that happen? Uh, again, it was just because we, we, we were asked more and more and more. Can you yeah. get me one of these? Can you get me one of those? Uh, and next thing you know, uh, the showroom just got just became a greater number. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, and then the, and then you know, it, it, yeah, it just it just all kind of came together in that yeah. in that way really. Um, uh, and all of a sudden, you realise one day I walked through the showroom and I thought, Christ, I'm an Aston Martin specialist. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and look look at that, and that, yeah. that was just kind of how it happened. But that's often, I feel like that's a, from a customer and from a consumer point of view, that's almost reassuring in a sense. When you know that there is a showroom or dealership that specializes in one particular product, if you're there for that product, it's like, ah, well, these guys clearly know what they're dealing with here. Therefore, they're going to know, they're only going to want to buy the best stock and have the best stock on offer. And when it comes to servicing and repairs or any niggly bits that need to be done, these guys are also going to know exactly what to do with it. So I think, yeah, as you say, it kind of... It finds a home, doesn't it? it yeah. It, the process kind of just does work. It it does its own thing. And yeah, indeed. And and and, it, and you're quite right because I mean that some of the weird and wonderful problems that we've had to solve here. I mean, that the literally isn't anything that you don't know about them after the amount of time that we've mm. been we've been we've been working on the cars and uh, and with the combined knowledge we've got downstairs in the workshop of um uh, I mean Steve Steve Pocock's been with us. Oh, he's just he's just had his ten year anniversary actually, um, uh, and Steve was in the main dealer network beforehand. So, but the great thing about that is, is that he's worked on DB sevens, he's worked on Vanquish, he's worked on the Vance, he's worked on the DB nine. So all those early sort of Gagnera cars, uh, yeah, he's done nothing but work on for the last mm-hmm. twenty five years. Um, Steve Gray, he uh, he worked at the factory uh, uh, during uh, and signed off his signatures on the under the bonnet of a lot of DB sevens. Wow, um, he did a lot of work with Vanquish. Um, he was. Uh, instrumental with uh, uh, suspension development um, on DB9s who worked on the VAR. So he's done a load of that stuff as well. Great. So from a knowledge-based point of view, uh, and then James, our, our third technician, James has been with us for three or four years. So between the three of them, um, you know, it's 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 a really good foundation, mm. really good foundation. Yeah. Um, and as always, you know, uh, businesses are only ever successful with the right people around you. Oh, completely. Um, and, uh, you know, and Matt's been with me for... 15 plus years wow. um, and, and Rob uh, Rob, uh, Rob works uh, in, in, with our sales uh, team as well and Rob worked with me at TW I worked for Rob I should say at TWR uh-huh. you know uh, and we've known each other ever since um, and Lloyd um, Lloyd helps put the workshop together in terms of controlling and of course we've got Andy who looks after the um, uh, our detailing and Chris as well helps him and Really, I mean they're a great bunch of guys mm. really good bunch of guys so um, yeah, very lucky in that in and we can't that. forget the dog Sadly, oh, Watson. Day off today. Watson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Watson's day off. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, it's it, it, he. He loves. Um, yeah. He loves saying hello to everyone. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it's good. yeah. I think when I uh, well when I came here a couple of years ago now, um, he was still a bit of a pup, but he was the most placid puppy I've ever met. Yeah. He was he is. So chilled. Yeah. 
Uh, perfect for. I mean, every every workshop should have a dog. I believe. Yeah, I agreed. Really, I firmly believe that. I think it adds such a lovely dynamic. Um, I'm trying to go through. I'm just glancing through the notes that I've got here uh, because there are a couple of things that are jumping out, which are quite good. Um, there's a note here that says cars in the back garden. Now we might be going back in time oh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. No, good point. So, um, so yeah. So again, uh, I, uh, I moved. So as the business started to grow, mm. and you know, it's like I mean, we all everyone has storage problems now, but I had storage problems at the time because like I mean, literally, I hadn't got anywhere to keep to keep the cars. Yeah. And the idea was was that. Uh, because of the cash flow, you know, you've got to buy it on a Monday, sell it on a Tuesday, mm. go and, you know, and just do that sort of thing. Um, but uh, over the weekend, there was always a, a period of, or even in the week, there's always a period where you've got some cars hanging around. Um, and I lived in a, a, a in a house in Warwick. I'd, it was a single uh, garage house, and I'd got room for two cars on my driveway, and I've got seven cars. Where on earth do I put them all? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what on earth am I going to do? So I came up with this brainwave where I knocked down the uh, the, the the back wall of my garage, um, so I could drive, <laughs> so I could I could have like this uh, uh, this double garage door thing, so I could drive out the back garage and literally put them on the back garden. Amazing! And I could just about squeeze three cars in the in the back garden. <laughs> and I remember one one morning, one Saturday morning, going outside uh, with the dog at the time, and I got two five fifty marinellas parked on my lawn in the back garden. And I'm looking at it thinking, John, I need to do something about this. You know, we need to move on. Um, but yeah. But what else do you do, you know? Uh, and, and of course, as you're transitioning to going from trading to selling retail, you know, um, well, you're taking, you, you know, you're trying to sell a car from off your driveway because yeah. what else are you going to do? And that was incredibly difficult. Um, Neighbours were complaining because I, you know, would have a wheel refurb bloke turn up and you know he's doing that. You know, you have to be very careful because you can't do that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, but yeah, that was that was really difficult. You're having a toe in the water. Can I do this? Because mm. we're back to the have I got confidence with it, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't. Can I actually sell a car to somebody out of yeah. the out of the paper off my driveway? And it turned out that you could. And yeah. I thought, okay, I can do this. And you know, and yeah, again, back to the confidence building thing, yeah. really. I like that. And despite the fact that it's two five fifty Marinello Ferraris, oh, and you're still there going, sake. is this? Yeah, is it going to work? Yeah. <laughs> it's two five fifty Marinellos there. Oh, no. Yeah, another of my absolute favourite. I told this story in last week's podcast, but it's a story I love, and it's that my dad he was a Snap On dealer, so Snap On Tools dealer, and they were running a promotion where you spend a certain amount of money, uh, you get a little Burago scale model thing, and he brought home a F forty and a five fifty Marinello, and the two sat on my bedroom shelf for years Amazing. and I think just the shape of both yeah it's so very very two very very different cars but yeah the F40 was just so radical and it was a racing car with number plates on it but yeah that 550 I still like it now and think it's just such a beautiful car I have to say it's one of my favourite cars I'm yeah. a big fan um, I'm a big fan of the handling of the car um, I'm a big fan of the way they look the mm. interior the, that sort of that Italian interior is yeah. just it's, it's lovely um, and if you see one in your rearview mirror, I mean, there's they're, a big, aggressive-looking yeah. car come, that comes stomping up behind you. And um, uh, I always remember uh, uh, when Clarkson did a video at Mallory Park with Tim Harvey and uh, Richard Burns, and Richard Burns was driving the Marinello uh, and did some you know, great handling with it and all this bit. And you can see his reaction to the, mm. the grunt, the power, the torque that this thing had. They are, they're a fantastic car. They, they yeah. really are. Um, but, uh, yeah... But yeah, having them in the back garden, having two of them in the back garden, in my back garden, I could just about <laughs> swing a cat in that and fit these two cars in. Ludicrous. <laughs> what really. did the neighbours think? Because well, I have this beautiful vision of like a neighbour outside here yeah, mowing their lawn maybe over the road. They see one 
Ferrari drive out of your garage and then they kind of look away, look back, and then suddenly there's a, a completely different car driving yeah. out of the garage. <laughs> yeah. like the, if you've got a bat cave in there, yeah. you know, they're peering over the fence saying, well, John, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I don't know where else to put them, really. And, you know, <laughs> quite funny. <laughs> um, do you, uh, I'd love to know about your customers. Do you have a typical customer base? Do you ever get the occasional famous face that might come through looking for cars or do you, what is your typical customer? Uh, good question. I don't think we have a typical customer particularly, um, but you know, uh, well, actually no, that's not true. We do. Uh, the typical customer you have is the, is the, is the person that dreams of owning Aston Martin mm. and they are buying their first Aston Martin mm-hmm. and they are the people that we cater for. Uh, and they, these, these people will go on to their dream. They, they want to go and buy a new car eventually but we are the uh, the stepping stone yeah. to that, uh, and so so you have everybody here from the person that turns up with their spreadsheet. They're worried about cost. They're worried, is it, can I afford this? Can I afford that? And you know you're sitting them down and talking them through uh, uh, you know, affordability. Um, you have the the couple that turn up. Uh, he might have just sold his business. You know they've done they've done great. They want to treat themselves. You've got the retired people, uh, and then you've got the young guy that's doing great, and you know, he wants one too. And, and it's a mixed bag of people. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we do have the odd uh, familiar face, uh, the odd famous face uh, that um, that comes and buys cars. Uh, and everyone's we're so lucky. To I don't know what it is about Aston Martin, but it attracts lovely people, mm. um, uh, uh, and we're very lucky that our clients are all great people, um, and um, uh, you know, and they're, and they're just out to have a, a, a nice car. And but you know, we're very much the kind of business that you know, once they've bought the car, it's how can we look after them yeah. going forward? Yeah. So you know, we'll see you next year for a service. But if anything happens in the mean, in the meantime, you know, we'll be able give us a call. We'll have, um, and we'll always, you know, uh, we'll, we'll always do anything and everything we can. Um, I, 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 there is one story that's just come to mind. Uh, I remember a few years ago we had this this young guy, and he said, um, uh, I, "I want to propose to my girlfriend, oh. and I want to. I've I, I always wanted an advantage, uh, and I want to drive it to the Alps, and I want to propose at the top of the Stelvio Pass or what have you, and do all this sort of stuff." <laughs> He said, but I'm really, really worried that something's going to go wrong with the car. I feel like this is very much his vision here, not hers. Oh, 100%. Yeah, oh, 100% yeah. <laughs> she had no idea. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and, he's, uh, and he, he was in, and you can see he's in the show, and he's like, I really, really want to do it, but what if it breaks down? And what if, and what yeah. if, and what if, and what if? Mm. And I said, well, I, I, so I don't know what you want me to say, because if I tell you it's going to be all right, it clearly won't be all right. Mm. Um, and uh, look, uh, you know, all we can do is we can do absolutely everything we can do to make sure right here, right now, uh, that it's going to be okay. I said, but I can't give you any more assurance. I mean, it would be wrong of me to give you any more assurances other than that. Anyway, after some time of deliberating, he said, okay, I, you know, uh, I mean, like, this is days and weeks. He said, he said, okay, he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to go for it, but can you just make sure that it doesn't break down? I mean, it's going to be all right. And I said, yeah, okay, yeah. fine. So, um, and, and I have to say, I mean, we, as you say, we, we sell 200 cars a year. They're great. I, I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be doing it if, if, they, if they weren't sort of thing. Anyway, so he set sail. And I had a phone call on the Friday night, and he's in pieces. Uh, he's in Nice, in the south of France. I've got an engine light, come on. Said, I've got an engine light, come on. It's, a, it's an emissions warning light, you know, which is normally like a lambda sensor and exhaust yeah. or something. And I said, look, don't worry about it. It'll, I said, you know, it'll, it'll be okay. And all so I'm trying to, re- just because he was in absolute tatters. Uh, uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And I thought, and, I, and, I, and I'm thinking, and I, I said, <laughs> so I said, right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So, 
I got one of my technicians on an aeroplane with the spare parts. I flew him to Nice. We fixed the car in the hotel car park overnight. Oh and the following day, he got in the car and drove up the mountain, did the thing. It was all fine, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, and he came home and he's just like, you know, best best mates ever since sort of thing. Brilliant. Um, uh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because you can never guarantee anybody that something won't go wrong. And when of someone course. says to you, can you guarantee? It's like, no, I absolutely can't guarantee it. And, no. Yeah. 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 yeah but, um, but yeah, we had, to, uh, we had to pull the stops out for that guy and just make sure. Incredible. I take it she said yes. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think we'd have all been a bit upset <laughs> if, you imagine? If, yeah, if she hadn't. Yeah, thanks for fixing the car. Sadly, yeah. said no, um, but never mind. Yeah, no, that's good. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, love stuff like that. Uh, but as you say, yeah, th- that that added pressure. The idea of anyone coming in and going. Just so you're aware, this is going to be uh, used for a trip, which is going to be probably the most memorable of my yeah. life. Please make sure it's nothing goes wrong. the most thing in the world. What? I yeah, know. What are you supposed I, to and, do? and the minute he came out with it, I thought, how can this possibly go right? You know, you've, jinxed, you've <laughs> gone and jinxed it before we've even begun. <laughs> but we got there in the end. Indeed. You know. So let's, let's now jump on to car ownership, because, of course, we started with that brilliant story of the first cars, and I'm sure, again, a lot of people will be nodding along and thinking, yep, had that. Well, I had one of those, did exactly that same thing. I love the idea of watching your two mini headlights disappear disappear over the uh, Coventry Ring Road. Um, but it's now got to a point where things are going okay, aren't they? And you've been able to buy a few cars that are quite special. We'll start with that gorgeous F40, which, again, I'm looking at a photo of it now. Um, how did you come about? Owning an F40. Uh, so, uh, so when we had the last recession, uh, sort of uh, 2008, 2009, and what have you, um, uh, uh, at that time, F40s were worth a great deal less than they are now, along with F50s, along with 288 GTOs and lots of other, uh, lots of other cars. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were buying and selling probably four F40s a year, a uh, couple of F50s, and I remember we, you know, we did two or three GT288 um, GTO deals. Um, but as we were, you know, got to 2010 and 2011, and every time we sold an F40 to buy the next one, you had to pay £50,000 more mm. than you sold the last one for. And, you know, and because we just come out of a recession and everyone's super nervous about everything, and again, we're back to having the confidence and about, mm. you know, how do we feel about it all? Uh, and you know, I'm ringing the bank manager saying, "Well, the next car is going to cost X," and he's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know." And and, and the prices were the prices were just were jumping. Uh, and it got to the end of the year, and I thought, if I sell this car, I'm, I can't afford to buy the next one. Mm. You know, because uh, we've got the showroom full of cars, and you know, you know, I, I, my my pockets weren't deep enough. And um, uh, and so I rang the bank manager, said, um, "I'm going to keep it." How, 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 how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, you know, and we had this massive conversation about what to do with this car. Um, and uh, yeah, and so yeah, I just turned up with it at home on the driveway. And I said, wow. I said, Carol, um, <laughs> I said, we're, uh, I said oh, we, we, we're keeping this one. Meet and, our new car. Yeah, she's like, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, I think so. I think it's the right thing to do. I think so. Um, uh, yeah, and that was and that was it. And and I've, we've done thirty thousand. It's just clicked thirty thousand kilometers. Wow. Um, uh, and I, it, it is just it is the most exciting thing. And every time every time you get in it, it's always an adventure. It's mm. always an experience. Um, it is a classic car. They're not perfect. Um, uh, I could give you lists of things that I'm not happy with that, it's, that are wrong with it. But uh, to hell with it all. Because when you're in it and you're driving it, it's 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 the car that's. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember I had, uh, J.K. from Jamiroquai uh, mm. nicknamed his Miss Whiplash. Uh, it's a great, a great uh, description mm. because they are dangerous. 
um, they will bite you um, and you've really, really got to be very clear-headed when you get in the car um, because the slightest little uh, movement of the throttle, the boost, all of this sort of stuff, you know, uh, and uh, it, it will stick you in the hedge. I mean, yeah, the, yeah it, the car wants to put you in the hedge almost, you know, potholes and things, it dances around all over. You've got to have two hands on the steering wheel, you've got to hang on to it all the time. You've really got to concentrate. But the reward you get from all of that is through the roof. Mm. It really is. Um, uh, it's it's exhilarating. Uh, the noise it makes is is just it's 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 heart stopping. It's yeah. great. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I think the best description I ever heard from a, a fellow F40 owner was uh, again using superbikes as a kind of comparison. So it's a bit like riding a ridiculously powerful superbike in the rain. You're constantly waiting for something to happen. Yeah, a wheel to jump or something, yeah. and and you end up looking and watching the road. In the same way that you do on a superbike. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You're looking at road surfaces, you're looking at manhole covers, you're yeah. looking for mud, cow pat, that yeah. sort of, anything that might alter. It will it will upset the car. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a great yeah. way of looking at it. And uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, it, 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 the slightest little flutter in the road will change the direction of the car. Mm. Um, uh, cause they are super sensitive and, you know, they're so basic. They've got no, there's no help with these cars whatsoever mm. and uh they're not the fastest thing on the road by by quite some stretch but my god they're the most exciting yeah yeah, yeah. they really are um uh, I, and I'm, I'm super lucky you know and and that thing's like part of the family you know mm. um uh when you know my uh, caroline used it as a as their wedding car mm. you know uh and, and that sort of thing and it just it really means something to all of us and uh it's uh yeah it really is a thrilling it's it's thrilling. i'm such a lucky bike to have that car it's really yeah. it's great yeah that's good. I'm glad you say that because I think everyone listening will be like, what a lucky bloke to own that car. So yeah. I'm glad you realise it. Yeah, as well. no, look, you know, and, yeah. and really, I mean, uh, the, the daft thing is, or the thing that's kind of makes it awkward is the value of it becomes to such a point, it's worth more than my house by quite mm. some stretch. Mm. You know, and well, why don't you sell it and get a bigger house? Well, yeah, but I, I, love, I love the car. Yeah. And I do love it. Yeah. You know. Um, the house can't take on adventures. Whereas no, 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 it can't. Um, uh, and if yeah, and again, it's, it's the same scenario. If you sell it, you know, uh, will I have another one? Nah, no mm. way. Yeah, you know. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. It's uh, it seems to be for me an ever an ever disappearing dream because they're yeah, just it's, becoming it's, so expensive now. Yeah. Unless, unless something very amazing happens, like I decide to buy a lottery ticket and win. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, think... to give you an idea, when I was at Grapeville, I remember we bought one for ninety grand. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. So, the, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. Well, I can remember being, what would I have been, eight, 17, 18, 19, my first proper job out of, out of college, having walked out of it. Uh, I went into property and estate agency. And, of course, as you do at that point, you start earning money at that age and going, right, a few years of doing this and I'll buy myself something really cool. And I can remember, I think it was probably the Joe Macari website because I was working out of Wimbledon and the Joe Macari showroom was only up the road in Wandsworth. And I think he at that time had two, and they were both. I think one was two seven five, and one was three hundred thousand. And I remember saying in the office then, so we're talking two thousand and eight nine here, saying uh, I, I had a, a colleague in the office also called John, and I said, uh, I bet well, I bet these are going to be a million quid someday. And he's no, 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 they won't. But they are now, aren't they? They're, they're kind of going into yeah. auctions with estimates of a million. Um, one might have even sold recently for more. I, I yeah, it's. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's all Shame. getting a bit. Um, it's all getting a bit over the top, really. But um, yeah, you know, it is. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, but the, you know, the car the car market's had two very very strong years. So mm. uh, uh, there's, uh, and I think um, post 
post uh, COVID, there's a lot of um, you know life's too short and you know Correct. what the hell and all that sort of stuff, and you know, quite rightly so. Yeah, uh, I think I think we've all. I mean, I have, and you know, we've all sat down and you know at home, you know, uh, and said, you know, what do we want to do this year? Mm-hmm. You know, how many boxes do we want to tick as a family and go off and do X, Y, and Z? And you know, and people are saying, well, I've always wanted that Aston Martin. I've always mm-hmm. wanted this, that, and the other. And, yeah, well, get on with it. Now, yeah. Now's the time, you know. So, if you notice that in your sales, then through people's oh, yeah. inquiries, it's because yeah. I, I guess that was a big thing again for everyone in the automotive world when we started. Well, when the pandemic first hit, and suddenly we were put into lockdown, I think a lot of people became really uncertain. They were like, "Oh God, do I need to sell the cars? Does everything need to go oh. away?" Because it was so uncertain about Honestly, what was happening. It was like looking down the barrel of a shotgun. Yeah, you know, we 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 closed on the twenty fourth of March. Uh, and uh, I remember being stood outside here when everyone was getting the cars going home, and I was looking at the sky thinking, oh, my Lord, where's mm. this going to go? Yeah. You know, because we've got all stock invested, you know, we've got, you know, we've got the... the the properties and bits and pieces that rented out. What if he? What if he goes bust? What if my tenant leaves? And mm. you know what's going to happen to the value of any of that? And it is you're thinking, oh, you know what? Uh, where, where's where's it all going to go? Um, and then you know, uh, and, and you know, I mean, through COVID, it was was really difficult for lots of different industries. But for some reason, you know, the the, the automotive industry um, survived quite mm. well. Yeah. Um, and I think it was largely to do with people thinking, you know, to help with this. Um, I'm going to have that car. Correct. Yeah, and why not? Yeah. So did you find that was pretty instant? Once once you were allowed to get back to work and business was going, I know that a lot of people, um, especially businesses that did a lot of business selling aftermarket parts like alloy wheels and exhaust systems and stuff, suddenly they, they were booming because there were yeah. loads of people sat at home, yeah. not working, getting furlough payments. Yeah. The money that they would usually be spending on the pub is yeah. just still there. Yeah. So they were going out buying new wheels, buying exhaust pipes. Did you see it on the grander scale then as well? Yeah. The people that had had that money sat in the bank, perhaps waiting for that rainy day fund, going, do you know what? Screw this. I'm getting a DB9. Oh, 100%. Brilliant. Yeah, it took, it took about five months, you know, post-March. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we all, we came back in uh, first week of May, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were, we were flat out straight away from there on in, yeah. which was just, it was, it was bizarre. It's like the world's just had a month off. Yeah. What else going on? We've all just, we've all had a month off, you know, uh, or we were locked locked out, whatever. But yeah, yeah. you know, and now all of a sudden it's just we're, we're going again. It's crazy. Yeah, incredible. Mm. Um, now, besides the F forty, what else have you currently got in your your personal collection? Um, uh, so uh, um, again, when uh, so back to when I was working in the hotel, and I used to drive into Coventry and back uh, uh, every day, and I went. I always used to go past. Um, a business called PMR Construction, uh, a guy called Pete Ratcliffe, and Pete uh, had a bright red um, Escort RS Cosworth, mm. uh, and parked outside where uh, where he worked. And every day I used to drive past and look at that car and think, "Oh wow, that's amazing!" And again, <laughs> back to the Max Power thing, back to the Jeremy Clarkson and about, and everyone was ranting and raving about Cosworths, and um, could never afford one. Certainly couldn't afford the insurance or the car. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, about seven or eight years ago, and I've, I, I, I've been looking for ages to try and find a really nice one that hadn't been messed about with, that hadn't been crashed and stolen or rest of that. And I found this really lovely uh, red car. Uh, yeah, and I've had that for sort of seven or so years. And again, we've done a few miles in that. Mm. Um, that's that's really nice. Um, I've got a Mark One Golf, uh, which is another one. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of neither here nor there really. Um, it's a it's a kind of a track spec. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast road kind of car. Um, again, I put a twenty valve engine in it rather than you know <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, and that's and that's that's kind of fun. Um, uh, and uh, what else have I got? Um, uh, we, yeah, and we restored. I restored again. So that during lockdown, 
Um, I bought a um, I bought a DB5, um, really special car, left hand drive uh, example, which is really rare. They built about 147 cars, mm-hmm. um, and it needed it needed restoration. So uh, so yeah, so I bought I bought that, and we've uh, we spent about 18 months restoring that, and that's just been finished. So that's beautiful, California Sage. Uh, uh, it's just a stunning, stunning thing. Um, uh, but of course, I think the most exciting car, and I know you, I know you're just itching to talk about it, is, <laughs> is, is, um, is our 1972 Rolls Royce Silver Shadow. Brilliant. Um, which uh, uh, which looks like a proper. It's a rat look car, isn't it? Yeah, I think you'll yeah. agree. Um, so uh, so for those of you that haven't seen a picture of it, we, we've got a, we've got a little bit about it on our website. But it's um, so this car started life as Robert Maxwell's car. Um, and um, the, the the recent House of Maxwell series on, on on the BBC, he was filmed in the back of the car and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and uh, for some reason, and there's something going on with it. I don't. I'll, I'll never find out. But he was the only registered keeper of it until March last year. Uh-huh. So it's been kept in some sort of thing, trust mm. or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, and the, at some point, they'd, they'd, they'd flat flatted the paint back to respray the car. Stopped halfway through. And left it, so it's just got, and it's been left like for twenty years. So it's got this amazing faded paintwork with some primer uh, on down one side and not on the other side, and someone's pinched the flying lady off the front of it, and uh, you know, and it just looks like a, a it looks like a banger, yeah. um, which for a Rolls Royce is just got to be one of the best coolest looks ever. <laughs> and um, and we and I bought this at auction last year, and I got it back, and uh, and I bought it blind. Uh, and I got it back, and we looked at it, and thought, "Oh, I thought, what on earth have I gone and done?" And, you know, <laughs> uh, um, and we connected a battery up to it, turned the key, and everything worked. Really, Honestly, I couldn't wow. believe it. Everything works, and then so then I'm thinking, well, if all that works, the lights, and I mean, even the even the electric seats are still working. Um, uh, and of course, well, I'm looking in the bonnet, and so we had the spark plugs out. And next thing you know, it's turning over. I'm thinking, here, I'm thinking, here we go. So we had to do a load of work to fuel <laughs> tanks, fuel lines. Yeah. Uh, carburetors. Well, I mean, we we did that. We did that. We did we did all, all of it, um, and it's passed its MOT with no advisors a couple of weeks ago. Brilliant. Would you believe? So, although it looks horrendous, or, or actually, well, it looks great. However you, however you want to look at it, but we, we, it's got all new brakes, new tyres, everything underneath the car's new. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's um, uh, and it's it's a it's a really funky thing to drive to drive. I mean, it's a bit daft and a bit silly, and all that, <laughs> I know, but it's it's just kind of cool. It's one of those. I think it's on everyone, everyone that would classify themselves as a true petrol head, I think a slightly ratty old yeah. roller yeah. Or, or even an old Bentley. It's kind of up there with that ultimate pub car, isn't it? Get your mates in the back, yeah. cruise down to the pub, just sit outside of the pub garden or go down to Caffeine and Machine, which of course is only down the road from here, and just sit on a bench and just admire it yeah. with a pint in hand. But it's the irony of this car that once upon a time would have been absolutely the bee's knees yeah. in the British motor industry. Yeah. Uh, and Rolls-Royce still are, of course. But but to now sit and look at that car in that state yeah. as a fully functioning, running, you know, and it is, I mean, it wafts down the road. It's so it's silent. I mean, the build quality, the build quality of that car is second to none, clearly. Mm. Uh, and Rolls Royce was super helpful. We've spoken to them about it, and they've sent through all of the original paperwork with Maxwell's uh, signature when he bought it from Jack Barkley, that was in really? Oxford. And wow. Yeah, it's been. It's, there's loads of. It's quite interesting, you know. And are you going to paint it, or are you no, just going to leave it as no, it is? No, no, no. Yeah, it's got to stay looking yeah, like that because yeah. that's the whole. If, if you painted it, no one would bat an eyelid at it. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's and true. Um, uh, you know, it's not. I mean, as a car, it's not worth a great deal at all. I don't sure. think, but it's just. You'd have to go. You'd have to put a lot of time and effort in to create that look on yeah. any car, 
uh, let alone on a car like a Rolls Royce. Yeah, you know that's true. Yeah, you paint the uh, you paint it and it immediately half the story's gone, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, now fill in a gap here because I I'm I don't know the answer to this. I've got the note here that says XJ220. Are you the owner of an XJ220 or is there a story to an XJ220? Because I feel like I have seen I have X- owned an XJ220. Yeah. Um, I don't own one now, um, but I... Um, uh, so pre-F40, mm-hmm. uh, again, XJ220s at the time were £70,000 or thereabouts. Yeah, wow. So 2008, I bought this beautiful uh, one-owner. Uh, it was left-hand drive, actually, done 1,000 kilometres. Um, uh, and a gorgeous car and it was always I was always the butt of everyone's jokes because I commuted to work and back in it and Brilliant. you know and everyone uh, and like some of the local uh, local car guys around here they were like is that your daily run around uh, you know <laughs> but it was because there's such a drivable car I mean they're a massive it's a big car right? yeah, yeah. Um, so when you have the whole F40 uh, XJ220 comparison um, F40 is a go-kart uh, the XJ220 is a much bigger heavier thing mm. but if you wanted to go on a longer journey, uh, the Jag has got, you know, a lovely interior, great air con, uh, great hi-fi system, you know. Uh, so they've, they've both got uh, um, uh, pluses and minuses, but the Jags are so rare. Mm. Um, and, you know, whenever whenever you're out in either car, to be honest, you know, if you, if you go down the M40 and you're sitting in, you're sitting in lanes one or two, you'll always get somebody coming past, hanging out the window with a camera, taking yeah, photographs of, of it, because it's... It's such a rare thing to spot, but um, but no, uh, but the, the the Jag was um, a great car, and um, yeah, I had that for a couple of years, but it went to make room for the F forty. Mm. So, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan. I, they're a love hate car. I know that, and yeah. some people some can't stand stand the sight of them. But the story behind it's really cool. And uh, again, going back to growing up in Coventry, mm. you know, um, uh, when they were developing the car, um, uh, and they were using the A forty five as their test track. So when they had the white van with the XJ two twenty running gear in it, you know, you'd be, you'd spot that driving uh, mm. up and down the A forty five, and thinking, what's going on there? And you know, so there's there's, there's lots there's lots of those cars. It's, it's an exciting story. Yeah. And would you say, looking back on your time with the two twenty, what would you say? That, what is it that makes the F forty just so special? over that like, or, or if if the opportunity came up and someone said oh hey I've got one and it's a reasonable price do you think you'd be tempted to get another one another XJ or uh no I, I, I lots of things uh, that going on alarms go off from my head um A probably couldn't afford to have it as well as mm. um and uh to have two cars I, the problem is if, if you've got loads of cars um, you never, you know, you want to enjoy, have one car and enjoy one car. Yeah. Uh, it says the man that's got three or four, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, um, um, but, you, but you've just got to have um, a smaller number of cars rather than having 10 cars because you just never get to use them properly mm-hmm. um, and, and really enjoy them. And I think, you know, I had great time with the Jag and uh, I did that. So, but I haven't got any massive leaping des- desire to go back and do it again. Um, uh, I'm, I'd rather be in the F40, frankly. Fair enough. Yeah. And going on then, before we wrap things up, to the other end of the spectrum, is there anything you have on your wish list still that you think, even if it's not in the immediate future, but a certain car or two, or a bike perhaps, that you think, God, I'd love to have one of those at some point. If, if all the stars align in the right way and I have the means to do it, is there something that's, that's on that dream list? Uh, no. Ah. I, I, do you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the modern technology cars 
they're too there's too many driver rage and things with them and all the rest of it and and as I sit here right now mm. I must admit I haven't driven anything that's been that new um, for quite some time so I'm probably a little bit um, uh, off the off the pace with it but um, there's lots of cars I'd like to have a drive of mm. um, but I haven't got anything um, thumping away that I'd I'd, I'd really like um, but I, do you know what I saw a picture of the other day um, I saw it I, I, and this is going to sound like completely off the wall, but the Dodge Hellcat. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh God, they look they look like they look a complete animal. I mean, I, I, it's such a, it's such a different thing, and I, and I, and I like different, you yeah. know. Um, but those Hellcats look. I mean, they just look so aggressive. Um, I've never had an American muscle car, um, and it's just something I've not I've not done. It's a box I'd like to tick, um, and uh, uh, you know they're very. Uh, they're very straight line. I think they're. I mean, they're just. They're probably overpowered, mm-hmm. uh, really. But uh, I, I must admit, I do look at those and think they look wicked. You know, I'd love to. Have, I'd love <laughs> to have a go in one of those. Um, but you know, some of the some of the new cars that are coming out, that just I don't know. I, I'm, it, everything's going so electric mm-hmm. uh, in terms of battery powered and bits and pieces, and um, uh, uh, and the the costs associated with battery replacement if it goes wrong and you look at the I mean like running the F forty right I mean everyone you might people might listening might be thinking well how much is that going it, it, it it's pennies by comparison it's not an expensive yeah. car to look after I mean we've done a lot of the servicing work here Bob Houghton looks after it for me too mm-hmm. um, uh, servicing costs are about fifteen hundred quid I mean it's it's, a, right. it's not an expensive car to own and to maintain mm-hmm. right um, but some of these new uh, cars you know. Um, like the LaFerraris and they need new batteries and they're oh, 50 plus thousand quid or whatever it is yeah. and I'm thinking oh my lord where's you know where's that going um, and I kind of I like the cars that 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 don't need to rely on that kind of expenditure at some point mm. um, one of the cars that I've I own that I forgot to mention I've got to mention it because this is all about you know being silly about cars and fun <laughs> factors of, um, Citroen Mahari Oh yeah, right. So uh, if you don't know what a Citroen Mahari is, it's basically uh, think of a two CV. Uh, so it's it's a Citroen Diane chassis with a two CV engine and running gear. Um, it's like a beach buggy uh, sort of thing, and it's only ever good for a, a country with a good climate. But we've I've got one that we've we, I've owned it for three years. Um, it's a plastic tub on wheels with suspension. If it rolls over too hard, you'll all fall out of the car <laughs> at, at, at a corner. Um, uh, and it's so slow, it's hilarious. Um, but the fun factor of that car, I mean, and because cars are all about fun, and I, I just believe that if you're if you're a proper car person, that it's no good saying to me, oh yeah, no, I love Porsche. Uh, I've got a GT3, I've got a Cayman, and I've got a and I've got a Macan. Yeah. What? So you've got three Porsches. That's and that's <laughs> and that's it. And I and I think that you should just have lots of different stuff and appreciate mm-hmm. lots of different stuff. Uh, so going from an old knackered Rolls Royce to a Mahari to an F40 to a, you know to a whatever, um, and I, I don't know. I just, for me, that's what that's what flicks my switch. And I'm, there's nothing really brand new on the market that I'm you know desperately mm. climbing the walls for. I'm quite I'm quite a happy content bunny really. Yeah, I think. <laughs> so let's look ahead to the future then. What is your obviously we're in this really fascinating transformative time in the car industry at the moment, especially with new cars. We're edging closer and closer towards full electrification or, or at the very least cars having to be sold with some sort of hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrid technology within the car. Are you excited about the future of cars? And, and what do you think, if the answer to that is no, uh, what do you think might be the redeeming factor? Um, 
who knows where this is going to go. So I, I think that we'll end up having a choice of car in the future. So it's not just going to be electric. Hydrogen is clearly a thing mm-hmm. that's clearly happening. Um, I know that ProDrive wants to race a hydrogen-powered car at Le Mans in the, mm. in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Yanmar are a big marine company, because I've, I've, again, being a petrol, I love boats and stuff. Mm. Yanmar um, have just done an Atlantic crossing with a hydrogen-powered boat. Uh, so I, I think in the future, we're going to have some choices about what to do if the combustion engine or when the combustion engine gets sidelined. What I'm struggling to understand with electric vehicles is... You know, everyone says, "Oh, it's I'm doing my bit for the environment," uh, and I and I and I and I understand that you're doing your bit for the environment once once you're in the car and driving down the road because mm-hmm. you've got a zero emission car at that point. But the reality of it is, is that to put that car together, we've got precious metals that have been mined from Lord knows where. They've been transported on some smelly ship uh, to California. It's all been put together in California. Then another big smelly ships transported all of that around the world. There's parts on airplanes everywhere. So up until the point that car actually gets on the road, you're not doing the world any favors whatsoever in my eyes, as far as I can see it. I don't, I don't get it up until that point. And what bothers me after that is that you put the car on the road and the slightest of side impacts will write the car off because you damaged the battery. The batteries can't be repaired. Once the batteries can't be repaired, what happens to them? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's an answer out there somewhere. I just don't know. Um, and, and how is that re- recycled? Because, you know, um, the batteries are, are like nuclear waste inside mm-hmm. there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's horrible stuff. So uh, uh, do you remember the, the Cook Report? You might not, years ago. There was a guy called Peter Cook. He was a, an investigative journalist. Uh, and there was someone always had a hit out on this guy because he, was, he, was, he just upset everybody. Yeah. But would go off and actually find out the truth. Yeah, about this yeah. and the truth about that. And I'm waiting for somebody like Peter Cook to, to, to re-emerge and say, yeah. this is the truth about electric vehicles and this is what they really do and what they really don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so hard to be properly educated about it because you read so many different things in the press about you know about the precious metals and about this and about that mm-hmm. uh, and about uh, about the lithium uh, in, in the batteries and, and what, what do we do with it. And, and I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of different things that you can read. And I'm sure uh, that it is all recyclable and the rest of it. But... You know, uh, when you've got that damaged Tesla or, or electric vehicle or what have you at the side of the road that's just been written off because uh, the repair costs are so great, you know, and, and, and now, well, now you've got to recycle this car. So if we, if, if you want to be really good to the environment, why aren't we recycling what we've already got rather than yeah. keep producing new? Yeah. Question. Yeah. So why aren't we, you know, like the like the Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow, right? I mean, it, it's not saying it's case in point, but just for the sake of conversation, that's a 1972 car. Uh, yes, it's 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 grossly unfriendly in terms of what comes out of the exhaust on it for the 500 miles a year it'll probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just been rebuilt with all recycled parts. Yeah. Um, so so what does the future hold with with all of the electric things and the hydrogen things and all the rest of it? And I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't know. It's a head scratcher. Um, uh, obviously, the electric. The electric vehicles with the with the network of charging cars and points mm-hmm. that's still got a long, long, long way to go. Is that actually ever going to happen? I'm not sure. Um, I, there's loads of questions. I just don't. I just don't know the answers yeah. uh, to. In all honesty, but it's um, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. No, I think uh, many people listening will be in absolute agreement with you. Me being one of them again, because of course it's uh, it has been proven time and time again. Again, that that ability to keep an old car on the road. You know, even thinking back to the Rolls Royce, thinking back to couple of cars that I have from the late 1990s. The, those cars, the the carbon dioxide that's been used to make those cars is been and gone. It's yeah. done. It was done yeah. in the in the 1990s. It was done in the 1970s. And 
the cost, the, the carbon cost per car at that time was drastically smaller than it is now to make yeah. these new electric cars. And as you say, you write off your Tesla, what's going to happen? Oh, and the insurance will pay you out and you get another one. Yeah. And Where, where's the help in that? I don't exactly. get it. Exactly. And the amount of carbon that is produced now from creating electric cars and, as you say, shipping them around the world, flying parts around the world, it is not, it is not an environmentally friendly option. Okay, if we are in a world where perhaps it will happen, but it's not going to be for 20 or 30 years, where everything is renewable power, everything's wind, solar, wave, tide, you, you, you think of green energy, uh, green electricity that's being generated, and somehow some sort of amazing technology has been developed to recycle those precious metals that are in the batteries. Yes, we might get there, but that is such a long way away yeah. from now. So the, the right here, right now, the, this... People, you know, campaigning about, oh, I'm saving the planet because I'm driving around in my Tesla or no, my, no, my you're Prius. No, I just, I just don't. I just no. don't get it. No. You know, I mean, the dark thing is the carbon footprint of my mobile phone is probably greater than the carbon footprint of that old Rolls Royce. Yeah, it, it absolutely the last, will be. Over the last yeah. 10 years. Yeah. So, uh, but it, I just, yeah, I, just, I, I think it's something that the government, uh, you know, we had, we had the, you know, go and buy a diesel car. Yeah. You know, go and buy an electric car. Have you actually properly, properly sat down and done mm. your homework about it? No, you haven't. No. No, you haven't, uh, and uh, and 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 it needs to be done in in a way that is categorical and you know without any doubt and question. And so, so that, um, let's educate people so that everyone can understand where it's going. Because I just, I just don't, I don't agree that it's as great as everyone's making it out to be. No, no, um, you know, but and you know a lot of the older cars. I mean, everyone needs a daily runaround that is. Uh, that's a friendly, environmentally friendly car, one hundred percent. I get that, mm. um, and everyone that's got you know uh, uh, older cars, like my, my cars are all a lot older, and their carbon, you know, that comes out of the exhaust. Yeah, not good for the environment. But if you're only doing five hundred, a thousand, two thousand miles a year, yeah. not the end of the world, no. right? So, uh, but it's the car, it's the it's the car that's doing twenty thousand miles a year, thirty thousand miles a year, forty thousand miles a year. They're the ones that need to be uh, friendly to the environment, one hundred percent. But mm. I just, all I'm saying is, I just don't think that. Um, I don't think that the government have looked at it properly. No, no. And there are there are many people out there, whether this is factually correct or not, but there are many people out there that have given the opinion that, in actual fact, again, running an older car like that that's already had its carbon used up from the construction process, um, the actual fueling of that car, if you are going to be doing 1,000 miles a year at most, maybe even 5,000 years a mile, uh, 5,000 miles a year at most, you are you're actually, from a carbon dioxide point of view, you're efficiently using the fuel that's being put into that car, i.e. you put... 500 litres of fuel into that car every year, you burn 500 litres and you get the 500 litres worth of offset from uh, carbon dioxide that comes out the back. Looking at the, uh, the the national grid and the electricity process that we have at the moment, the way that electricity is generated and put into cars, you know, battery life fades when cars aren't used in the same way like if you, if you don't use your mobile phone for six months and you've plugged it in and charged it, the battery life drains. The same thing happens in cars. So suddenly that carbon has been created by burning coal in power stations in order to generate that electricity that's gone into a product that then might just fade away. So how does that become more environmentally friendly than just burning the exact percentage that we know of carbon dioxide that's going to come out of an engine that's been used for that purpose? You know, We can sit with our fuel in the fuel tank for six months, okay, the octane might drop slightly, but it will still get burnt and used, whereas it's not going to just mysteriously fade away as if we'd left the fuel cap off. Yeah, and you know, and the, and the other problem I think that's going to um, uh, that's going to arise with electric vehicles is, let's say you've got an electric vehicle that is it's done a hundred thousand miles, it's eight years old, so you've got no battery warranty, mm. um, and you'd be a brave person to go and buy that vehicle 
um, with the possibility of battery replacement looming over you. And then, yeah, and then again, how's that going to work? Mm. You know, it's not like you can drive it into a service centre, they pull one battery out and stick another one in and off you go, sir. Mm. If the battery replace, if the cost of the battery replacement is so vast, the car will be a write-off again, mm. surely? Mm. So, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I'm not a battery uh, electric vehicle guy, so um, uh, I'm sure there'll be people listening that know answers to these questions, but I, I, I don't. But yeah. I just um, that's just kind of how I interpret it for now, I suppose. Yeah. And if there is anyone listening that thinks, actually, no, I got the information that you guys need, then feel free to send us an email, podcast at drivenchat.com. If you think you can justify this new world of EVs to us, then um, then chances are I might want to rock up with some microphones and have a chat with you because I'd like to know. I'd like to learn. Me I'd, too. What are we missing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? me too. That's, that's what we'd like to know. So, yeah, podcast at drivenchat.com if you'd like to get in contact with the show. Um, I've taken an hour and nearly an hour and 40 minutes of your time. Oh, we've done well. We've done very well, haven't we? I'm going to quickly glance over my notes just to check. There's there's nothing else I've missed that's really, really worth us talking. Obviously, everything we've talked about is is worth it. I've got you on an amazing list of motorbikes here as well. Bandit 600, CBR 600, GSXR, Bandit 1200. You got bigger with the Bandits. (laughs) Fireblade, Ducati Scrambler, uh, Hypermotard. Yeah. Some amazing cars and bikes you've had, isn't it? Yeah, no, very, very, uh, very lucky boy with all of that, really. Um, but you know, for anybody that's that's kind of car, bike, engine crazy, you know, uh, you just you, yeah, if you're into it, you're into it, aren't you? Yeah, so. exactly that. Now, if people want to find out a bit more about you and more, more importantly about the business, if there's somebody at home thinking, actually, yeah, I have got that spare allocation of funds sat in the bank doing nothing, and I really do quite fancy an Aston, uh, what's the easiest way for people to? Um, as always, through our website, um, which is mcgurk.com, uh, and there's lots of links on there for getting in touch with us. And uh, yeah, yeah we, we're, we are an open house. So uh, uh, if you are uh, passing, if you do want to come and see us, uh, have a cup of tea and a walk around, you are very, very welcome indeed. Awesome. Yeah, and it is an incredible showroom. And tucked away at the back of the showroom, if you're very lucky, you might see a particular red Ferrari looking very shiny, albeit maybe under a cover. But if you ask John very nicely, the cover might come off. And always, get a always, always. Fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. It's no been pleasure. fantastic. I'm sorry this has taken a ridiculous amount of years to actually uh, come together, but I'm glad it has. And um, I have no doubt that we will cross paths again very soon. And perhaps as, as time goes on, we'll come back for another chat. If you've got something quite cool, particular project or something worth talking about then we'll uh, we'll come in and have a chat with you yeah, definitely as well thanks john thanks so much thank you very much dear listener for joining us for this week's episode as always you can find out everything that we do at drivenchat.com you can see all of the videos that we put together on youtube and of course you can find the entire back catalog wherever you are listening to this podcast in the same place the only other thing i like to say which again sounds a bit sort of self-righteous and and pleading is if you do have the the time means ability and desire to leave us a positive review it does help us no end so if you're listening on apple podcasts and you've got a second to spare just to write us a positive review it does really does do amazing things in an algorithm machine that none of us can really understand um, but it's a huge help to us if that's the only thing you do to thank us for this podcast then it will be much appreciated for now i'll leave you at that and i will look forward to speaking to you again with another episode which I can promise you will again for the third week in a row reference F40s. And that's because next week I'm talking to Sam Moores, who has also been a very lucky owner of a Ferrari F40. But more on that and more from Sam next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com.